This is JU Israel Teachers Lounge, where we reach out to current Gap Year students, alumni, and any interested listeners, keeping you connected to what's happening in Israel and giving you insight behind the headlines. I'm your host, Senior JU Israel Educator Michael Unterberg, and today joined, as always, by co-host and Director of JU Israel, Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's gone good, Mike. And today we have back JU Israel Educator Matt Lippman. How are you, Matt? I'm very well. Thank you, Michael. Our topic for today is, uh, of course, the events going on at our southern border at, uh, with the Gaza Strip and the resulting political tumult and brouhaha to mayhem, mayhem and chaos. Uh, but first, let's wish Mazel Tov to our engineer extraordinaire, Ben, on the birth of a son. Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. Mazel tov. Uh, and get to this week's crazy news. Now, when we met on Sunday to talk about what we would talk about this week, we had a whole bunch of ideas, but we said if there's news this week, I guess we'll do a, a full news update episode. <laughs> guess what? We're doing a full news update episode. <laughs> guess what? There was news. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of news. Now, we've, we've had to deal with Gaza in the news this year because there were, of course, the protests that can, quote-unquote, protests that continued to get violent. There was the burning of uh, Israeli agriculture with balloons that were sent over. There were grenades. There were attacks. There was exchange of fire. A lot of chaos that was simmering, uh, but there hasn't been full-blown what, what you would call, I guess, war. So, what, Alan, can you catch us up on Sunday's? Yeah, so uh, in the midst of this also kind of back and forth that's been happening has also been a diplomatic back and forth. Even though we don't talk to Hamas directly through an Egyptian mediator, um, we've been trying to come to some long-term ceasefire agreement with them that would bring hopefully what they think years of quiet to the south. Um, in the midst of that, the negotiations are coming to a very, very close final stage, as reported in the in the media. Which is why this weekend there was all this Qatari money flying around in Ex- Gaza. Exactly, Israel allowed all right. That. Fifteen million dollars in suitcases from Qatar came came through Ben Gurion Airport. Knew, it's, it's like a bad movie. It's, <laughs> it's like suitcases full of American dollars. Yes. To me, it sounds like a good movie, but yes, ah, it definitely to, sounds right. like a movie. And to to help pay salaries in Gaza to help their economy. So in the midst of that, Israel, because the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank stopped giving the money. Correct. Um, uh, and that's why they're also paying for the fuel to come into Gaza mm-hmm. to make their lives a little bit easier there because in Gaza, up until that fuel started getting paid for, they have four hours electricity a day. That's been doubled to eight hours. I mean, can, I, can you imagine if you didn't have 24 hours worth of electricity? Like yeah, what that would crazy. mean? How would you charge a smartphone? <laughs> exactly. You have to get a solar. <laughs> Mike's I, always I worry thinking. about these things. Mike's always well, I like worry about zombie apocalypse but, and right. stuff like that, so I got a plan. <laughs> so in the midst of all this, uh, Israel hasn't stopped doing what it needs, see, seems uh, deems necessary for security reasons. And Sunday night, there was a secret operation. We don't know what unit. Most people are assuming it was the elite reconnaissance unit, but it doesn't really matter. They were doing a secret mission, and we also will never know what it is probably, at least for years. Could be when in a few it, decades, we'll know. Yeah, yeah. And history nerds will go, oh, I remember exactly. that mission. Exactly. Um, but nevertheless, what happened was they were caught in the middle of their – what's assumed to be some kind of intelligence gathering um, by – I think certain elite Hamas squads, they entered into a firefight and Israel had to do a very dangerous um, mission to extricate the soldiers. Um, And in all this, so a lieutenant colonel, who we don't know his name, was killed on the Israeli side. Another officer. An An Israeli lieutenant colonel who wasn't Jewish. We don't know. Well, I thought that that lieutenant colonel was. I don't know. We don't know who he was. I thought he was an Arab. 
I mean, I don't know. I, I, I right. mean, it was reported that he. Ah, okay. So I see that. If that it could be. You, I, um, one hundred percent. You could. I don't. I don't know. But another another officer who was also uh, injured. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know his name, and uh, or where Nestle is from. And um, on the Hamas side, there were six. Their combatants were 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 killed. One was a a brigade um, commander. That's a fairly fairly high level, and one Islamic Jihad. Uh, so that's seven so, killed. So seven on the Arabs Gaza on the side. Gaza side, right? And and one and one injured on the Israel side. Do you assume that missions are going and on all the time behind the, lines everywhere? Yes, yes. Syria yes. in Gaza. I think one thing just to point out from what Alan was saying about not knowing the name of the person that was killed and the person injured, Israel still has a military censor on the press, and so the press have to pass everything through this military censor that decides whether it's okay to publish or not okay to publish. So there's so many things that have deemed, been deemed not okay to publish. So we just have no idea what's happening. Well, it creates an interesting problem because Israel Israel takes military considerations first and giving the enemy less information is valuable to military. The enemy will then fill that vacuum with all sorts of disinformation that Israel won't necessarily contradict because Israel's not they keep they play their cards very close to the vest. And now with social media, it's running on Israel's social media too, Israelis. There's even politicians who retweeted and resent things that, that Hamas was putting out about the mission. There were all sorts uh, of false know, and all kinds of false false things. So you don't it's really hard like to Israel, know what's the, like Hamas said that the point of Israel's mission was to assassinate a certain leader Correct. and Israel said, No, it wasn't. Like but it's none of your business said, what it was. Right. Immediately out they came out and said it wasn't. Right. Um so the, Hamas then automat- then responded with 17 rockets firing into Israel's south, and then it, uh, that was Sunday night, which created a very tense evening night, uh, night and then uh, morning, and then day on Monday. And as Monday went was going on, there seemed to be a little bit of relaxing, and the commentaries in Israel were saying, "Oh, neither side wants this to explode; they wanted to push it any further." And at 4:30 in the afternoon, I was actually teaching in class. Mike and I were both teaching in class, and. As he told me later, his computer and my phone started blasting off with red alerts to a pace that I've even during crazy. the even during the previous wars in Gaza we didn't reach. Did you? What did was, you how did you handle that as a teacher in that moment? Um, so like, what's going on? And I basically started telling them. I was like yeah. in real time, just explaining to them about the rockets and what yeah. was happening. We had actually been talking what had been happening the night before, right? And. And what? And then the kids started looking online, and then one said, "Oh, a bus got exploded." Right. And I was like, "What?" I, and because I, I, I could see the red alerts, but I was teaching, so I couldn't. Right. I didn't stop. I couldn't class, read. But I took I took you know? a break to explain what it was. I yeah. talked to them about even though you know this was in TVA in Jerusalem, we're not going to get right. rockets up here, presumably. But I think it's still good to have it go off. And I said, you know, we have this annoying ding, ding, ding coming every time there's a rocket. That's annoying. We'll work through it. Just ima- every time you hear that and it feels annoying, remember that there's somebody right. in a shelter in exactly. the South. And, and in that hour, in the first hour, while we were in class, by the time we got out of class, there had been 100 rockets, yeah. which is a pace that had not even been in Suketan. The, Ever. Uh, Suketan, what was that called in English? The Operation uh, Protective Edge. Protective Edge. Um, in 2014. Um, and part of that is because Hamas has learned how to overwhelm the Iron Dome system. Um, have they, or is this an experiment to overwhelm Iron Dome? No, Iron I think Dome? they. No, they've definitely learned. They knew it would. Yeah, uh, that's what Israel. That's what the Israeli Bitronisti uh, uh-huh. defense people are saying. Um, that they that that that's just what they learned. We know they've learned. We know they've up they've upgraded their rocket 
creating well, Iron Dome is a system that Israel created with the United States to intercept rockets before they can hit people. Right. It doesn't stop rockets from doing physical damage to property, but it does intercept the rocket if the trajectory is going to take it where people are. Right. It's programmed well, to area. land in like empty spaces. Like if a rocket is uh, going to hit an empty space or a field, then Iron Dome is programmed not to not to intercept. Right. right. But you can't overwhelm it if there's just too many things for it to react right. to. Right. So what they quickly. did is they shot 50 rockets in like 10 minutes straight at Sterot and, and then Ashkelon later. And then so a few get through and they hit actually buildings and urban areas. And then there's a higher casualty rate. Um, there's one person who was killed in all this by the end, which was 24 hours later when about 500 rockets had been shot, which is, a, a, a again, a, a level we never reached before with Hamas. Um, and But during that day, this is already on Tuesday, um, the cabinet was meeting and the messages were coming clear from Hamas that they wanted a ceasefire because Israel at that point had also managed to level a number of very important buildings in the Hamas infrastructure and a report that Hamas – Including said, their TV station. Including their TV station. Always go after the TV station. Yeah, that's yeah, propaganda. Yeah. But but they also – Hamas put out a report on Tuesday or Wednesday, I think it was. Oh, today's Wednesday. It was Tuesday that Israel had, had damaged like something like 880 buildings in – in in Gaza and in, in that short time, so uh, we don't often see it. They're, oh, they're shooting rockets. What are we doing? But we don't, you know, really see what we're doing. But Israel was very careful to limit the amount of loss of life. Right. Um, and it seems, and, and Hamas was very careful not to shoot past the Gaza, what's called the Gaza envelope, the areas like Ashkelon. They wrote the players just around Gaza. Well, the way I always expand. picture it is. I picture like a hand on the knob, on a, there's like a volume knob of one to 10 yep. in Gaza and a hand on the volume no, you know, knob of one to 10 in Israel. And if they turn up to four, then we turn up to four and a half, but then they go back to two. So we go back to two and a half. It's all about, Gaza I think is one of those situations where there isn't a solution right now. Right. You can't stop this problem. We talked about this a while ago in the, in the podcast that terrorism has aspects of war and aspects of crime. It's not something... In other words, a war ends. Terrorism is something, and, and, and terrorism obviously can be fought. You know, even even uh, even even when you have like sort of guerrilla soldiers fighting Israeli soldiers, which isn't really terrorism, but the the weapons are the weapons of war. But it's an ongoing thing. In other words, let's say Israel killed every single Hamas member, there would be more people. That wouldn't end terrorism from the Gaza Strip. So that's that's so kind it's, of the, it's a maintenance issue. That well, that's the argument. It's going. That's actually been going on for four years or more. Um, certainly since since Protective Edge, um, with actually the same players in the cabinet, yeah. which is what happened Tuesday in the seven hour meeting. So your main players really are um, obviously the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, and uh, but on some of his coalition partners in who are not part of his party, but other parties like Avigdor Lieberman, who's the defense minister until about three hours ago, uh, until that right, and Naftali Bennett, who's the education minister, who are generally seen to Netanyahu's right flank, and who are pushing for much more aggressive. Um, and in this cabinet meeting, what's reported, we obviously don't know most of the details, but that the entire military structure um, was pushing for a ceasefire, I mean, Israeli military structure. The head of the army, the head of the Mossad, all of those were saying it's time for they it. They want to ratchet it down. And yeah. Lieberman and Bennett were pushing to ratchet it down. Yeah, Lieberman and Bennett are, are pushing for other. They have other plans. Bennett, Bennett has a plan, I think, even to, to retake over Gaza um, and the talk of – of getting, and then the other talk is, of course, getting rid of Hamas, and that's that's this sort of 
this ongoing machloka, um, you know, disagreement and how we should be approaching the Gaza. Which is a tactic, I understand, but then strategically, what's the next step? If you're playing chess and you remove Hamas, so that's it. We, we know the nature abhors a vacuum. We've seen that throughout the Middle East. Yeah. Every time one regime or one terrorist organization, whatever, is, is uh, destroyed, then something even worse replaces it. So Look, the United but, States had a problem with the Soviet Union and it shows containment over, you know, uh, regime change. Because the, the consequences of attempting regime change are just overwhelming and lead often to blowback and you end up worse than you were before. And better the devil you know than the devil you don't, I think. That is. seems to be the strategic thinking. So I never understand why people say... I don't understand the tactical idea of removing. Well, I think that for part of so so first of all, there is. I mean, and I think it's a difficult thing to to deal with in the classroom. Also, it's not so simple. Um, but you know, the the people in the south. I mean, from Beersheba to Kiryat which is like I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people. Um, uh, on Tuesday, didn't the kids didn't go to school? Yeah, they shut down. It was know? like two hundred fifty thousand kids didn't go to school. Yes, right. Two hundred fifty thousand kids didn't go to school. That already on an economy is is disastrous. But on life, forget about economy. Life well, and in the Gaza envelope, the envelope, the area surrounding and stay wrote and again and in Ashkelon and they have not only the rockets, Kibbutzim. they have mortars. I mean, they, they basically mortars. spent Monday night in their bunk. In their not all, not only Monday night, all day Tuesday, they had yeah. to stay in their safe room. So imagine just even a family of five, a, a normal Israeli sized family. Of five having to stay in a normal Israeli sized room, yeah, in a normal <laughs> Israeli sized room the whole day, right? You literally, Which I think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. My impression from talking to people is nobody does like you, you sort of wander out and leave the door open, you stay nearby because you can't, like, psychologically, that's right. well, most people don't just stay in the room. So, the my father, who, right, my father lives in Ashkelon. Um, and I spoke to him yesterday, and he said that the, the feeling around the city said it felt like Shabbat because. It was very low key. There was hardly anybody out on the streets. Everybody, as you say, is staying. If they're not in their rooms, they're at least close to the rooms. They're staying close to the shelters. Um, it's like a snow day, but yeah. instead of snowflakes. So That's what I said. Yeah. I said in Israel, we don't have snow days. We have rocket days. Yeah. Um, so. No, but so, uh, so the 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 desire is to. It, 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 it is to have a plan, is to solve this problem. Well, uh, well, the and way I, the language I would use to put into strategic language, I think, is that you cannot have, you cannot remove the problem or solve the problem, but you can aim for stability. You can find a homeostasis where there's at least a predictable status quo, which is stable and doesn't have people running in and out of bomb shelters all the time. Yeah, so that I, I think that is the government's burden to create a stable status quo, even if you can't eliminate uh, an enemy at your southern border. It, it, you have to be able to, to deter their violence to the point that lives can be stable. Right, and I guess and the 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 other argument, but is that the, but long term, what happens is is like what happened between two thousand fourteen two thousand eighteen, is that they get the enemy gets better. Yeah, right? and that's what happened to Hezbollah. In other words, we've had quiet on our northern border with Hezbollah since two thousand and six. But we know there a uh, part of that is because of other reasons. But we know that they're a formidable force now. Yeah, uh, and they were there. So that's the the long term. So I mean, what I kind of like, how do you deal with this in with your students? Like, I, I always find it hard um, framing it for them, especially when we're talking about. I think a lot of our students and the people they necessarily like talk to and and interact with in Israel are really under the Naftali Bennett and and vote on that. 
um, and and talk more like that. You, you know, you understand what I'm? Yeah. Well, I find that students in general ask what I call J word questions. J word being just. Why don't we just? So I think it's an important habit of thought to say, well, if you just thought of that just now, that using the J just. word, if you just thought of that just now and you think it would solve it, then why do you think they don't do it? So think it through. There may be reasons why it wouldn't work. If you just just thought of it just now and nobody's done it, so there are probably reasons. And then, so let's take a step back. I understand your intuition, but let's plan it out. Let's play it through. How would it work? And think it through. I, I guess my my idea with my students is, first of all, to demonstrate to them that for whatever crazy things go on in Israel, and there's crazy things, there are people really thinking about this very well who are very good at what they do. It's not only the most moral army on earth, of that I am convinced, but it is also an extremely effective military fighting force that that gets these things for for where we are and who we have as neighbors they are very good thank god at keeping us very safe and things relatively quiet so let's try to get into their thinking and analyze it and why you should feel on the whole pretty safe um and so so once you once you t- abstract it to thinking about strategy and tactics and you realize that you're in the hands of professionals i find students I think that's healthy for their critical thinking, and it's also healthy for their morale while they're here of not feeling in particular danger. I also find one of the things that I spoke to some students about yesterday, you were talking before about the uh, the volume control. Mm-hmm. I like that analogy, ratcheting it up and ratcheting it up a little bit more than the other the other side here. Um, so some of them are asking, well, why hasn't Tel Aviv been targeted yet? Or why do you think that we're not going to get rockets in Jerusalem? So to try and explain to that that is considered a serious escalation, mm-hmm. that once Tel Aviv starts getting attacked or Jerusalem or any sort of any place in the in the, in the Mercat, as they were in two thousand fourteen, exactly, then, that's going to be big. Then the the response is going to be much bigger as well. So, and Hamas is going if when Israel's response is that big, Hamas is literally scared they're going to get thrown out from within, mm-hmm. that the people of Gaza will overthrow them, and so and so listen the protest quote unquote at the border. The the fire balloons, uh, the massive rocket barrage, I you know it, I understand why you're framing it, Alan, as they've learned. I also think that it's a certain amount of experimentation. What happens if we do this? What happens? It's it's tactical trial and error. It's pushing the boundaries. It's yeah. trying to t- test where what you can get away with before somebody slaps think, you on the wrist. Yeah, and, and because they don't know until they try it how to turn, fine-tune the knob, how much can we do that we look like we're fighting Israel without getting Israel to respond too badly? And the Israelis are looking at it as, how do we keep this quiet? That's why I think they let the money through. That's why we want a stable life for our citizens on the, in the South. And I think that's the differentiation that, that somebody like Bibi Netanyahu is seeing it from that perspective, trying to keep it quiet, trying to keep the status quo as is, as opposed to uh, a big deliverman who would say he wants to just root out the whole problem. But rooting out the whole problem is, takes a considerable, much more amount of effort. And, and I, I just don't understand how that's tactically possible. Unless you're talking about genocide of 1.8 million no, Arabs I'm in Gaza Strip. I'm not, but he, he's no, talking No, he's not about, either. He's not talking about this. Well, he's talking, talking about, about this looks like a capitulation to terrorist Lieberman. Right. By the way, Hamas announced I mean, that Lieberman's resignation is a victory for Hamas. <laughs> I mean, Hamas had a victory party last night yeah. when Israel said, okay, we won't 
hit you back. So and they had a, they had and, big announcements today with Lieberman and resigned. Like and, I mean, Woohoo! Look what we did. I mean, they're in the news all over the Israeli news. Is like there's been a lot of questioning about that because this was a serious escalation. Escalation that Hamas did shooting 500 rockets in a day is and and a, hitting a bus with an anti-tank missile. Yep. Which, right. Which was ca- which had been carrying soldiers. Yeah. So it was a serious uh, uh, escalation by Hamas. Absolutely, um, it was a serious escalation. But again, they didn't try hitting. Tel Aviv. They didn't no. try to think about my, no, no, Correct. my point. Let's is, say they is went that, up to on the volume control. Let's say they went up to five. Right. I don't think Israelis feel that the Israeli army went to five and a half. Right. Correct. To didn't. push them back down. The, the feeling in Israel clearly in all the news and all the people is that we did give in. Right. If that, they went to five, we went to four and they said, oh, we'll turn down to one. And we said, okay. Yeah. But there's a feeling in Israel, and that's, I think, what Lieberman's resignation that, is that to that express. Hamas, Hamas decided to, when we start. Right. They decided when it ended. Right. You have to go to five and a half so that they back down under yeah. fire, so that they have, they have, they are perceived to have given up, not us. Uh, but uh, but there are also arguments that have been made. Again, I don't want to get too much into the commentaries, but argument that's being made that over the last four years the government hasn't done anything to make a real split between Hamas and the people, mm-hmm. right? That they've just kept the status quo going. Like it's not just about this one thing. It's that all of the policies of the government haven't done anything over the last four years to make a change, not just in, by the militarily. So I, I'm just I, saying that's part I, of the I, Absolutely, I've read argument. that. I, I'm always skeptical. Again, that t- sounds to me like regime change, which I'm always very wa- wary uh, of. It may uh, not be hard power regime change. It may be soft power strategic yeah, no, I just, attempts at regime change. I'm just careful about it wanting to put people who are like Alvigdor Lieberman or Nafla Bennett in a box of saying, oh, they're just crazy and want to destroy the no, whole Gaza. No, I don't think anybody's strip, saying so. they're crazy. No. I think the idea that, – uh, no. That's – I think deter- – no, I think they're making the, – the point that deterrence has to be based on Hamas backing down and not us having the perception of backing down I think is a valid argument. Agree okay. or disagree, I think Lieberman's making a valid point. Hamas is celebrating what they're calling a victory of making right. Israel give in without hitting the same volume level. And Lieberman says you cannot do that with terrorists. At, at his at his press conference where he resigned as defense minister this afternoon, that's our that's happened today. So Sunday was the the uh, the secret ops the uh, secret ops mission that went went south. Monday was the the barrage the barrage of rockets that continued till Tuesday. Tuesday was the ceasefire. Today, this morning, Avigdor Lieberman announced he's making a press conference, and at one o'clock he resigned as defense minister. And his catchphrase was that we we've surrendered to terror, right? We've surrendered that to Netanyahu's terror. Netanyahu's orders and, to yeah, and under Netanyahu, and so therefore he can no longer continue as defense minister, um, which means his also his party is pulling out of the coalition. And how many does he have? Five men. Uh, I think it was six. He has six, whatever. So the which brings the coalition to 61, 61, 61. I think. Yeah, sixty-one. So the govern. So Netanyahu's governing coalition of sixty-one, which runs the the Knesset, now cannot lose a vote, or he'll basically will basically have to dissolve the government and go to elections again. Right. Which is sort of chaotic because once again we won't finish a four-year run of the government because elections if we finish will be next year November next November is yeah. year. so we may not make it uh, so Natalia was saying the stability of the government is the most of the coalition is the most important thing now I just saw a headline before we came in I didn't get to read it but I, you well know. he's taken over as defense minister yeah well in time he may appoint someone else in Likud you never that's know. true do you think he will I try not to think anymore. <laughs> well, well, He's much smarter than me. How many how many ministries he is he in charge of now? So it was it was open for debate before we were having this conversation. We know he's the the foreign minister. Yeah. 
We know he is now well, he's the, defense, the prime minister. The prime minister. He's now the defense minister. He's also some sort of communications portfolio he holds. Communications, I think, health. And so, yeah, he does and, have health because the Haredi won't take health as the minister because it's too problematic. So they, right. so they actually run it as a deputy minister. So he's only really yeah. a, a formality. So, so that the Haredi can run. And there's another something economic also that yeah, I think yeah, is some sort of immigration, immigration or absorption, maybe something like that. Ah, one, who knows? One of my students suggested maybe the reason he holds so many of these different ministerships, whatever you call it is because then he gets an extra expenses budget for each one yeah. of them, and he can no, order more by, ice cream. By the way, yeah, more the, pistachio ice cream. By the way, the, the, the amount of uh, ministers changes every government depending on how many seats they want to give out. It used to be, I remember it used to be, like, there was 16, 17, and then there was a big jump when the coalition, when the parties went smaller because they had to give more ministries. So well, one of the issues yeah. central platforms in the, in, the pre, in the previous election, not the one that... And David Ben-Gurion held defense ministry as right, the prime minister One of the also, so so arguments unusual. was, listen, we're, we're paying for all these extra ministries that don't need to exist. We're paying for, ex, like the taxpayer is paying yeah. for extra ministry. Extra, extra Volvos. Deputy ministries, right? all the expenses involved with ministries. Let's cut it down. We only have a, a parliament of 120 seats. So let there be 18 ministers Right. Cap it at that, and that's it. Anyone else that wants to be a minister of this or minister of that, sorry, that's all there is, 18 seats or 18 uh, ministry positions. And then with the new coalition that we had after the last election, or, or this current round of the, this government, we now have many more. I think there's something like 26 something like ministers. That. Yeah, well, it, but Baby's saving us money by taking on like six of them. It's the, Look, I'm always the BB basher on this podcast, and I don't know if that's a good role for me. But, uh, but there is something I, that concerns me about holding foreign ministry, defense ministry, and prime ministry. Those uh, are not minister. What, what concerns uh, me is like explain to our students how this all works <laughs> and then walking out of oh, class I, not completely confused. Oh, I did it this afternoon and my students, they were like looking at me like with like these wide eyes. Like, but Well, you're talking to, about U.S. students, right? Yes. If you live in a country that has a parliament, it's much easier to understand. Yes. If you're coming from a two-party United States system. Well, even yes, the idea that in the Israeli political system, there's no local representation. Yeah. That completely blew, the, blew their minds to begin with. Then when I started talking about the coalition and I showed them a chart of which parties are in the coalition and which are in the opposition. So one of them said, well, what stops a party from just having a tantrum and leaving? I said, Nothing. Not only a, par a, t a party, a, a Knesset member. Or, or an individual. So she said, well, then how does anything get it done in this country? <laughs> like, well, that's the problem that we sometimes By hook or by crook. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, well, uh, you know, a podcast is a hard venue to explain. I, I yeah. really do feel like I need a board. Yeah. With a board, I can... I can. So I, I have a board and I have yeah. my PowerPoint and it worked and they understood it, it. They were horrified by it, but they understood it. Uh, like anything else, there's pros and cons to different systems. Yep. There's pros to this system. There's pros no, to... Well, I would say there's better representation in this system because your, your idea can be represented much more. Yeah, but if I have a complaint about the infrastructure around my city or I have a complaint about that there's no hospital where I live or something like that, there's no one to take it to. At no, least that's not true. That's the regional. That's what we just had elections for. That's the mayor. That's the right, regional. Right, but the mayor. Yes and no. Because like in England, for example, and also in America, when you vote for your congressman right. or your representative, Correct. you're voting for them based as much as anything on local The bridge issues. in my district isn't doing well. My congressman has to get into the national government, get federal funding. Yeah. There's no equivalent in Israel. No, but it's we, a problem. No, the Moitza. We go to our, when we have issues like where I live, we go to the Moitza. We I want to be, Russia, if Moitza, I'm living in Stero in, in 2008 and there's hundreds of rockets falling on Stero, somebody, there should be a minister who will get voted out because he didn't stop those rockets, who represents By the way, Stero. you know who, who, who brought in the Iron Dome? 
right? Uh, it was Barack? Nope. Uh, what's his name? Peretz, who had the oh, 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 the right. binoculars he put on the wrong way. Uh, um, Amir Peretz. Amir, Amir. Amir, Amir, Amir Peretz, right? Why? He's from Steroid. And everybody, okay. um, no, I'm saying, right? Well, so, Alan, in most national governments, there's regional representation in the national government. No, Israel doesn't, and that's no. that's very problematic. And that's hard for students to understand because that's not what they're used to. They're used to writing to their congressmen. It's hard for Israelis to understand. Yeah. I don't think it makes um, sense. It doesn't make sense, but I think because it's so ingrained that you just don't have that. that people well, we don't have a constitution, that. so the system is chaotic. Oh. Let's, let's, without getting too far Michael's afield. about yeah. to get back to his constitution uh, topic. Well, I, I think you should know what you're doing and not make it up as you go along. I don't, I don't think that's a lot to demand of a, uh, of a welcome government. Welcome to Israel. <laughs> but, I, I don't know how you successfully re, uh, refurbished your house because that's like in Israel. What that's do you mean? Totally, that's totally make it up as you go along in Israel. <laughs> okay. Luckily, my house is not a government representing 8.5 million people or whatever Israel is now. But I, but I think that what this does is it destabilizes – what Lieberman resigning is – destabilizes the coalition. Now Naftali Bennett's party, I always mix up their parties because Lieberman's party is... Uh, Lieberman is Israel Betenu. Yeah. Which in English is? Uh, Israel is our home. That's the name of it in English, really? That's and Bennett's is... Yeah. Bennett's is... Ben says yes. His, his <laughs> party Jewish is... Home. By a Yehudi, Jewish home. So... So you can be an Israeli nationalist. Now Bennett being is saying he Jewish holds he holds like education and diaspora ministries. I think. Yes, I think that's because they're they like so represent the territories. That's like Jewish home because it's Jewish there. It's not necessarily Israel. Uh, and, <laughs> West Bank slam from Allen. And, uh, and his deputy holds the um, the legal ministry. What do you call it? Um, justice. She's justice a justice minister. minister. Yeah. So that's also very important. Yeah, one. that's a very big one. So th- he is demanding that he be given. Defense. Lieberman's defense ministry and Likud is saying they won't. And and Jewish Home is saying, well, if he doesn't get his defense ministry, then they're going to pull out. And now the coalition has fallen. You'll and have under 60 seats. Well, student was talking about, right? Well, what actually – right. But Look, the answer to your student about why it doesn't happen every day is because it's unstable. Like you, Of course, you, but, the, the, but her point that anyone can have a tantrum is – Correct. That's demonstrated right yeah, now. By correct, but if you have enough tantrums, then the voter's going to throw you out because you're, not, you're a complete idiot. And don't yeah. forget, these guys – I mean, uh, we can – I'm as cynical about these politicians as anybody. But in the end of the day, they really do want – to run the country and are trying what they think is the best, I think. Yeah. And so they're not going to run out. And that's what my question that comes up right now is, in other words, if we are really in this sensitive spot with Hamas and everything's going on, how can you just walk away? You're just like walking away, and we're in. If we're in this really who tense are you asking moment. that to? Lieberman, Lieberman, yeah. Well, because that's how, he's that's not how just could span it. They could span it and said we're not going to deal with the question of the defense minister ministry right now because we're in such a delicate time. We need someone who knows yeah. what they're doing. We need Bibi Netanyahu. He's inside the system. And because they're, they're spinning it. From Lieberman Lieberman's is, perspective, he's ineffectual. They're not listening to him. Oh, so yeah. he's going to resign. Netanyahu's calling all the shots anyway. So let him call the shots without me. I, I don't want to be. I don't want my name on this. And it's not going to matter whether I'm here or not. Yeah. And and by the way, I think that's true. <laughs> I, I really do. I think the system in play is stable enough that they'll continue dealing with whatever deals they make with Hamas. I don't think much is going to change. Um, Are we going to get uh, elections? Do you think Bayou D will pull out? Yeah. Yeah. 
I think so, but I don't know. And I think that's exactly what BB wants. Israeli voters don't like when exactly your student's question. Israeli voters don't like people to crash the government, and they hold it against them in the next election. But BB's looking at polls and saying, if there was an election today, I could probably have a stronger coalition. So, but he doesn't want to call for them because then everybody's mad at him. But now, I think he's Jedi Jedi mastered uh, Lieberman and Bennett. (laughs) To, to pull out of the government, and now he has to call for new elections, and he's going to end up on top again. The guy's unbelievable. Yeah. guy's unbelievable. He is amazing at this. But, but again, I, I just want to make the, 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 the security point again, that what Hamas – I'm not l- leaving out Hezbollah for a second in the north. What Hamas has come to realize is they cannot deal a mortal blow to Israel. They can hurt Israelis which is, from our perspective, every individual who's hurt or, God forbid, killed or even property damage or farm damage. Or trauma. Or trauma or kids, you know, who... who I mean, literally, there was an interview on the news. I saw a woman. She says, I'm 25 years old. I'm not I'm not ashamed to say that I live in fear. I'm sure. afraid. Um, I have to have my father walk me, you know, 10 meters somewhere because she's afraid. And, you know, we have... We, have, we spoke to... Judy Spanglet, yeah, who, who is deals, a clinical who social worker on this issue. Yeah. With helping people with that sort of trauma. So with, I, I don't mean to minimize the damage that they do, but that damage to Israelis is not ultimately damage to Israel. They really can't threaten Israel's existence. By the way, and going back to Hezbollah, whatever damage they can do to Israel, which is, I, I, I think, greater, they ultimately can't really. So I, 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 I don't disagree with you, but I do have a... Um, hesitation with the, with those thoughts, and it's a, it's a personal one because I remember during the second intifada, going through it was tough. Those were tough years. Yep, bombs blowing up constantly. You lost an aunt, um, you know. So, and I remember saying that. I remember talking to my parents that were very worried. I was like, but you know, it's no, not it's an scary. existential. It was really scary. It's not an existential threat to Israel. Right. Where you know, right? And in some ways, yes, but in other ways, it really affects the the soul, I think, yeah. the soul of the people of the country. And that is also a danger. Um, I so. would argue that that's the normal path of nations. I think in the 21st century, we have this sense that having your nation grow and develop and improve is almost costless. I remember I was shocked after 9-11. And I think, you know, in many things that I don't want to get into insulting President Bush's handling of 9-11, but one of the things that I was very disappointed about was that he told Americans to all go out and go shopping to help the American economy. As he oh, said, really? I don't remember that. Yeah. As, as American troops, less than 1% of the American population were going into harm's way. And yeah, there was some ratcheting up of security. But basically, aside from the knowing about these things, it didn't really affect American lives. In World War II, Americans were collecting rubber and tin and all right. these things. The home front was involved in the war effort. And I think that is probably more normal, at least for the last few hundred years, than today's 21st century, you know, Europeans and Americans don't, the home front doesn't feel it. In Israel, the home front 100% feels it. And uh, that's not good, obviously, but there is a silver lining which is that we're all part of it. We're all invested in it. And we sometimes feel, you know, oh, our, our... friends and family who live outside of Israel getting it. And to a certain extent they do and a certain extent they don't. But everybody here is in it. 
that, that I, I, there's a positive to that. There, there is, but there's also scars. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I don't know what it means, existential or not threat, but there are definitely scars. Yeah, I don't mean I, to minimize. I my, right. Like I, yesterday before my kids went to school, um, I spoke to them in the morning about what happened overnight in Ashkelon with the rockets. Because like I said, their grandfather lives in Ashkelon. And I didn't want them walking into the classroom and the teacher saying, oh, last night there was somebody killed in Ashkelon, a man living in an apartment. And my kids start freaking out that they don't know what happened to Saba. Mm -hmm. right. So I explained to them, I said, and, we, and we talked about it. And they How old are your kids? Um, the two that I spoke about it are 10 and 8. Mm -hmm. Because in schools, they're dealing with this stuff. Sure, e right. Even my daughter, who's in the Scouts, um, she had her Scout as a Tuesday evening is when Tuesday they go to evening. Scouts. And before the activity, the Madrichah, the, the counselor, sent a message to all the parents saying, please have your kids wear black T-shirts under their regular Scouts uniform so we can take a picture of everybody wearing a black T-shirt in solidarity with the South. So again, the kids are aware of all of mm -hmm. this stuff. They're being taught about it. So I wanted to make sure that I'm framing it for them right. in a way that they're not terrified that something bad has happened yeah. to, to mm -hmm. their grandfather, for example. So it's smart. Because my my daughter wrote me that they, you know they made her more scared in school. <laughs> well, there's a balance. There's a balance. You have to be aware. You have to yeah. be in touch. But you don't want kids to. You want to. You can't listen. You can't hide kids from reality. No, not at all. But in this you, country, they do not at all. They expose them. You Look, you, you have to teach them to run to shelters. I mean, you can't, right? You can't hide them. Right, but you want to put it in a context that is meaningful and gives them some sense of security and also sense of positivity look at all the people inviting people from the south up to the north so that they can have a break or sending things down to the south or you know doing business in the south i you know that's that's the side of it that that you may want to focus on i it's rough and i don't know that it's easy to armchair quarterback and say to leaders you got to make this problem go away I just honestly, as I said before, I don't think that's a realistic expectation, but you can deter and stabilize and confine. And eventually, I think that when you, when any leaders that spend resources and money and energy on rockets and, and invasion tunnels and sending teenagers and adults to the fence to throw grenades at Israeli soldiers, I don't believe that's a, a sustainable model. So we have to contain so that they can't hurt us, and eventually they'll, the problem, that problem will take care of itself. Does that make sense? I don't know what makes sense anymore. <laughs> the world is very confusing to us. It is very confusing. Uh, we're recording this on what in our time is like 4 or 5 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. You, there may be more news after this, probably political probably news. Is. Hopefully quiet from Gaza. And that's it for this week. And hopefully next week we'll have a nice quiet week where we can go on to different, uh, more lofty topics. Amazing. Thanks so much, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much, Ben. And and, mazel tov, uh, Ben. Mazel tov, and good luck uh, getting sleep with uh, yeah. your little Shia. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, this is the part where I remind you that we are the JU Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast. And it's also the part where I ask you to subscribe, to rate and review us, and to share and recommend us in any way you can. Also, we'd love your feedback so we can respond to you on or off the podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye.